Hey everybody, Yislike here. Thanks for tuning in today. Before we start the episode, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by A Thousand Dreams, a developing adult liberal arts curriculum that celebrates transgression in most of its forms. Currently, the curriculum is comprised of a daily blog, four weekly podcasts, weekly multimedia lectures, a book vlog, lots of extra content on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest, and a Patreon that includes exclusive content and early access to much of our regular content. You can access all of our content, including a link to our Patreon, from our central hub at a thousanddreams.org. Please send comments and questions about the curriculum to a thousanddreams.org at gmail.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Meet the Rockadopolis. I'm Yes Like Rockadopolis. And I'm Lance Rockadopolis. So, in the last episode, we talked about the nature and purpose of shame, especially as it pertains to sexuality. In this episode, we're going to focus on kink shaming, including kink shaming from the vanilla world as well as from the kink community, and also from within ourselves. So kink shaming happens when one person tries to make another person feel bad about themselves for their kinks or fetishes. Most examples of kink shaming that I see referenced on kinky websites are about vanilla people shaming kinksters. For example, one common type of kink shaming is shaming kinky submissive women for wanting or needing to be controlled and played with in a variety of ways by dominant men. And I'd like to add that submissive men have historically have had much more pressure than submissive women to conform to heteronormative masculine behavior. There is so much pop psychology going around telling men that they have to be or they should want to be alpha and that is the only way to attract women and we've talked about that in previous episodes yeah and of course there are all of the general accusations of kinksters being evil deviant mentally ill perverted etc etc however Kinksters themselves have also been known to shame others for their kinky preferences and also for sharing different ideas and points of view on a wide variety of kink-related topics. Kink shaming is generally frowned upon in the kink community. However, it happens all the time. Here are a few examples of specific kinks and fetishes that I've seen shamed on FetLife even though those kinks have basically been ratified as acceptable by the powers that be who control the site. Age play is one. Age play really squicks a lot of people out. Maybe it feels like some kind of weird form of pedophilia play, or I don't know. 
a similar type of play that is shamed quite a bit is adult baby diaper lover, right? ABDL. Um, not going to say anything about that. That would be <laughs> just uh, mm-hmm. but no kink shaming here. Race play. There are a lot of types of ideological objections to different forms of kinky play and race play does get a lot of objection. Anything that strikes someone as being too intense or too transgressive could easily be shamed within the community. I once chatted with a Spanko in San Francisco who tried to shame me for using belts instead of just my bare hands for spanking. He said belting had too much psychological baggage associated with it. And he was really, really judgmental about it. He even blocked me. Wow. I, yeah. I wonder if his mom beat him with a belt or something, or his dad, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe, but I got the overall impression that no kind of kinky play involving impact or any kind of pain play was going to be morally acceptable to him, except barehanded spanking. And there's also the indirect shaming that I see, especially online. For example, Some kinky lifestyles seem to be unfashionable these days and that they are dated or they just don't conform to current ideological trends. So-called old school leather is sometimes poked fun at or not taken seriously. I think there's some condescension against it that I've seen. In general, I'm saying that lifestyles that require following pre-existing rules and customs like leather or like the Gorian community, they seem to be going out of style overall, even though we still see leather folks around locally. And I do occasionally hear from a Gorian adherent online. And kink shaming can, of course, happen for ideological reasons, Nazi play, race play. But I think more powerful might be the ways that power exchange itself is shamed. Like in online groups telling newbie subs in power exchange relationships that they don't ever have to do anything they don't want to (laughs) do. Well, I mean, Hmm. it's absolutely true that submissives have a human and moral right to refuse a command. But this consistent hammering on subs empowerment does seem to speak to a weakening of power exchange as a mainstay of kink and or BDSM. This whole focus on consent and the heavy handedness of the discussion seems disempowering to power exchange. Exactly. It's not just that consent is being lifted up or pushed into the foreground in BDSM discourse. It's that it feels like it's done in a very heavy-handed way, like you said. There's threat involved. And there's also this idea that you have to ask for and receive consent throughout a play session. It seems like every step of the narrative of a play session (laughs) requires asking for consent again and again and again. (laughs) And... I mean, I'm not saying that that there's anything, I'm not trying to shame people who do that. I'm just saying that I can't, I don't see how there could possibly any be any power exchange in it. And there doesn't have to be power exchange in it, but it does seem to indicate 
that that procedure is becoming more normalized does seem to to indicate perhaps a bit of a decline in power exchange. Yeah, for us, we definitely want that power exchange. So to feel that pressure is is very, I don't know, leaves a bad taste in our mouths, at least. It just annoys me, honestly. Right. You know, it, it does, certainly doesn't make me feel ashamed of power exchange. It, it's more a feeling of contempt. <laughs> but whatever. Across the board, shaming is so prevalent on FetLife that I have to wonder if people are literally sitting there and jacking off to it. You can see how people would be getting off on their self-righteousness and mm-hmm. on their virtue signaling. And the most shaming that I personally see is unfortunately in the power exchange groups that enforce the ideologies about what power exchange should look like. I mean, the cognitive dissonance is just is staggering. <laughs> it literally like makes me want to fall to the ground <laughs> screaming. Um, it seems, seems to me that you're <laughs> doing a little bit of shaming yourself. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. Yeah, so (laughs) maybe I I, I think I'm not going to say what I was about to say. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) um, Sorry Um, to interrupt. Okay. And then there's also the rhetorical shaming that goes on. How dare they? In many (laughs) different types of discussion groups that that is designed to enforce the various stated and implied rules about not just what you're allowed to say, but also how you're allowed to say it. And how I don't get off on shaming the kink community at all, do I? (laughs) This is similar to what I at least see across all social media. I'm just going to keep talking. It's just a constant hammering on people for not using the correct language. (laughs) And by correct language, of course, I'm not talking about spelling and grammar. No one ever shows concern about those things. (laughs) Moreover, it's late. Moreover, I'm getting giddy. I think think we're going to have to stop (laughs) or do it over. No, no, no. Okay. It'll be fine. Moreover, adhering to acceptable language and continually reiterating correct ideas becomes a kind of virtue signaling meant to separate the good people from the bad people. So it seems that the whole politically correct cancel culture has permeated a supposed bastion of free-thinking websites like FetLife. I mean, I wouldn't call it cancel culture, but that's exactly what it is. And frankly, it's much worse than vanilla social media in terms of cancel culture, because on FetLife, the group owners and moderators can just delete any comment they don't like and ban any members that they don't like. And you can't do that on Twitter. If someone disagrees with you ideologically on Twitter, you know, you can't just take them off of Twitter. So I think there's a there's a little <laughs> weirdness in the power structure on FetLife. Admins are using the group rules that everyone's supposed to read before clicking join. They use those to to justify banning people. They're also openly designed to curb 
free thinking and free speech. Many of the rules are clearly saying you cannot say this, you cannot say that. You must participate only in a very specific way. And a lot of the rules are very subjectively interpreted and enforced selectively. Actually, I just this week, I was banned from a group and getting myself banned from a group was like a personal challenge for me because I am sort of a very nice person in a lot of ways. But I was banned from a group finally. But unfortunately, it was only after I left the group and blocked the admin. And of course, that's against the terms of, of agreement for the entire state. You're, you're never allowed to block an admin. Yeah, your whole discussion about that reminds me of an anti-harassment lecture that I recently attended. And that lecture focused on or stated that it's okay to have your own views, but if you actually express those views especially to coworkers, that you run the risk of running afoul of company policy and, and even worse, running afoul of the law. So it's almost like saying, go ahead and look at women's breasts. Just make sure you don't get caught looking at them. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> not sure that's what I meant, but okay, I'll roll with it. That's my view on it. If someone doesn't catch you looking at their package, no harm, no foul, right? But regardless, the law on FetLife does seem to have kind of an Old West quality to it. Like there are lots of posses out there in FetLife land trying to wrangle the evildoers and take them off to FetLife prison. <laughs> to me, it's more like a lynch mob. Right. Well, same difference. But there are also potential positive uses of shame in the kink community through kinky play. When I first started thinking about this podcast, I was thinking about how using shame in kinky play is, is not a good idea, and I would never do it because it would be really damaging to both of us psychologically. But in fact, there are arguably very positive uses in kinky play. And I think that some of them are largely connected to trauma. And we do talk about that in the trauma play episode that we did a few, few episodes back. When people are especially sexually traumatized, or when people do experience trauma, and they're ostracized by society addressing that trauma in a kinky environment physically has been shown in some recent studies to be effective. There's actually been some rigorous research that shows that it can work. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, like with the culture play, there's the guy C from um, DomCon who talked about, you see, as soon as he saw the Abu Ghraib pictures, he wanted to role play them immediately. And the Egyptian guy who wanted me to slap him in front of his parents, mm -hmm. <laughs> slap him at the airport as soon as I got off the airplane in front <laughs> oh of everyone, in front of everyone, and then um, have him take me home and slap him in front of his parents, <laughs> right? That's, you know, for the purpose of shame. That's interesting. Did he want you to beat him with your shoe? 
He did not mention the shoe thing, but that's, you know that could be a thing, yeah, right? Yeah, that's supposedly a Easily. big, big insult in the Middle Eastern cultures. There's also religious play that could conceivably help people with, I haven't heard of anything specific, but I'm sure it's out there, um, help people deal with the religious shame that they've been burdened with, making people eat stuff they're not supposed to eat. No cheeseburgers for you. <laughs> and like the chastity thing, right? Yeah, that's that's one that I was thinking about. That definitely could be one form of religious shame play. I mean, abstaining from masturbation is a big part of Catholicism, especially f for Catholic priests. I knew a uh, born-again Baptist guy that uh, I knew in college. He was from Brazil, and he frequently railed against the restrictions of masturbation. He was very spiritual and religious and actually had me believing in the good news, but he still thought that refraining from masturbation was an unrealistic expectation. I fully believe that he was a virgin at, at his um, wedding that I attended, but that's not really why I like chastity fetish. For me, it's more the inequality, the total power exchange that my master has and the, and the freedom that she has compared to my total slavery. <laughs> and I don't particularly like messing with people's religious beliefs, but I'm wondering if anybody else does chastity as a perversion of abstinence in a wider Catholic kink. I know that the guy that we liked his presentation at DomCon LA, Danorama, he also gives presentations on Catholic kink. Whenever I think about shame in terms of kink, I always think about it for power exchange because it's so much about control, but I'm not going to do it, right? I, I'm really not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't use shame for our power exchange relationship, even if it can be effective for controlling you, gaining your compliance. I think it's, it is too psychologically destructive. It would be for both of us. And hurting people like that feels immoral to me. And it's counterproductive to the kinds of personal development that we really need to do in order to maintain and improve our power exchange dynamic. We need to be more accepting and loving of ourselves, not less, in order to be able to work on ourselves effectively. That said, shame does exist in our relationship. We both carry shame from our pasts that still influences us today. I'm grateful to Lance for pushing me to continue developing my dominance. You're welcome. Anything that I can do to help foster that dominance is definitely welcome from both sides of the slash. And the more dominant I become, the less shame I feel about it. And that is almost a miracle in itself. The sadism is another thing. I act on it frequently, but I do still feel some blocks, maybe. Lance is pushing me there as well. He wants me to let myself enjoy it even more, and that's a growth area for me. I'm at the point where I'm not going to turn down more opportunities for 
joy. Yeah, to, to see you enjoying yourself over my suffering gives me basically no greater pleasure. That's exactly what I want to get out of a lot of our play. CBT is something that I've always enjoyed, though, immensely. You have to have noticed that. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, yeah, definitely thing that you focus on. And, and nipple torture. Mm-hmm. That's something that we do a lot. Those two go together a lot. Um, striking the tip of your cock with my single tail. That counts, doesn't it? Yes, certainly does. And I'm squirming at, at the moment. Anal caning. That was, remember when we first did that? Mm-hmm. I think that was, was that up on halfway up Pike's Peak at Bar <laughs> Camp? Uh huh. Go cut a switch. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Bastinado. I still haven't done it to the extent where you're going to feel the pain in your feet for the rest of your life as a loving reminder, oh, as a wow. reminder of my love for is you. Is that what is supposed to happen? Yeah, that's what that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> I think I need to be tied down for that. Yeah, we'll see. So I admit it, I'm a sadist. And that sounds more like pride than shame. You have said that you've never felt shame about your submissiveness. I just, I'm not sure that that's true. We've talked a fair amount about some of your behaviors when we're at munches and other kinky events. And about how you you don't want to behave in such a way that comes across as weak or lacking personality. It's just my perception that among other kinksters, for some reason, you want to downplay your submissiveness, especially when dominant men are close by. Hmm. Yeah, what I see in those instances are other submissive men acting in a way that's completely non-engaged, especially earlier on in our social engagements. I see just men, submissive men just sitting there. What I really feel in those social situations is pressure to be more engaged in discussions and present in the moment and give an interesting viewpoint on the topic that we're discussing. So I don't see that as being ashamed of being submissive. I just don't want to come across as boring. I guess that's a form of shame. I I do see passivity as being boring. I just see the way that other submissive men act, and this is by no means all submissive men, but there's a certain percentage of them that their passivity is just not appealing to me. It actually upsets me if I don't express an opinion on something. Well, what I've seen is a complete change in your personality, including an inclination toward disagreeability. You know, there are more options besides acting like a silent, boring doormat and like a petulant teenager. I've never asked you or wanted you to sit silently, and I'm not sure that you understand what I am asking from you when I tell you to be my ally in social situations. It doesn't mean to just sit there or be a yes man, but it does mean to embrace and defend my positions. It means to not contradict or disagree with me in public. I guess that is kind of being a yes man. If you disagree with me or have an issue with something I'm saying or doing, 
a munch is not an appropriate place to bring it up, but it seems like that's the only place where you do bring those things up. And it's, a, it's, it's weird for me. I do need to know about problems that we have, and we need to talk about it in private. But in public, we need to be a united front. I, I agree with that. I need you to actively support me in front of other people. That doesn't make you a doormat. It makes you a junior partner. We're like the British royal family, and I'm the queen, and you're Prince Charles. <laughs> that would be bad. We're a firm. We're an institution. And we don't bring shame upon the family, right? You don't ever go against the family again. You saw what happened to Lady Di. Yeah, I completely agree with you that I shouldn't contradict you in front of others. And I try not to do that. But I, with this uh, last statement, I thought you were going after the whole Fredo Michael scene in The Godfather. It was a pastiche. It was, it was multiple things happening at the same time there. But part of why I think it's important that we do come across as a solid front is because we are a femdom couple and we have explicitly embraced the goal of promoting real long-term femdom relationships. I don't see male doms worrying about whether their subs are acting submissive enough in social situations. Male dominance is so normative in our culture, vanilla and kink, that it's often thought of as just natural. And, and it is much more common in the kink community. A male dom who's seen like fretting over his subs behavior in public might come across as insecure. I don't want to come across as insecure. Yeah, I just think that you're giving male doms too much credit. And it is my opinion that they do indeed have insecurities, even if they don't show it. Right. Of course they do. But because we represent a minority in the community, we're in a completely different situation. I don't think male doms are being surveilled necessarily as much as femme doms are. So we need to be at our best because, because we're a minority, we're being judged and regarded with skepticism. So in a kinky situation, being your best self means being your best submissive self. And that's recognizing, of course, that when we're in vanilla space, we don't have to worry about that, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, I'm going to develop some talking points and other conversational strategies in order to help us keep our goals at the front of our minds. And I'll also come up with some protocols. And there's going to be a badge for oh. mastering slave-appropriate conversation styles. You can put it on your badge sash that you can wear to all play parties and kinky events and out to dinner. Just like a... Like Miss America. Miss America, but I was thinking more of like a Boy Scout. Yeah. I like the Miss America option, though. <laughs> that would be very shameful. This concludes our discussion of shame. Thank you very much for joining us today. In our next episode, we will be talking about kink and eroticism. Until then, have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>